Duolingo, but still, I'm learning French. Fine, new passion, that's fine. Je suis une femme. (laughs) Or film. (laughs) (laughs) Je suis une femme. (laughs) Un film. Welcome to Femme on Film. I'm your host Ria and every episode I ask a guest to join me to discuss films that are female-led, created by women, for women and have often been unfairly maligned or dismissed as frivolous. Often these films are misunderstood or critically ravaged and they are usually aimed at women. They are often feminist and more times than not way ahead of their time. This week I have my lovely, lovely friend, the wonderful Jess Davies, talking to me about the 1990 film Drop Dead Gorgeous. Uh, I somewhat selfishly asked Jess to join me on this, um, mostly because I want her on Femme on Film, because I love her and I want to have chats. Uh, but I also am using it as an opportunity to force her to watch films that I love, or in this case that I used to love and now I think is problematic, but also I think it's quite an interesting film. Um, and I also think she has lots and lots of interesting things to say. Jess is a writer. Uh, she has a blog called 600 Words on Life. I'll put the link in the show notes and you should all go and look. And if you want to submit anything to it, do it. Uh, I've talked about you enough. You talk about yourself now, Jess. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Yay! I mean, it took you took you a while to ask me, but it's okay. I'm fine. Two episodes. I mean, (laughs) fill your boots. (laughs) Um, No, I'm super chuffed to be here, um, especially because I've just always been someone who is frightfully forgetful about all the films (laughs) I've ever watched. (laughs) I reckon you've watched about 3,000 more films than I have. (laughs) But the thing is, I've now had a baby, so now I forget them all. So it's fine. It's almost like we're on par. We're in the same boat. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, no, I'm su- um, super excited to be here and chat about this film that I had no idea existed until you told me to watch it. And that's the thing about this film. I think lots of people don't know that it exists. Um, I remember when I first watched it, so as a teenager, I must have been about like maybe 17, 18, going down to my local video shop, uh, renting it out, and then eventually buying it and just watching it over and over again. And then nobody knew about this film at all. Like I have nobody to talk to about this film. And then growing older, I've still got it on DVD, not available anywhere at all. And I think it's maybe about two years ago, it started coming out on streaming. And that's when sort of like lots of people suddenly started being like, this film is amazing. You have to watch it. It was, I wouldn't say it was an underground film or anything like that. Like it existed. And I, it just was one of those films that never caught on or became popular. And there's, we'll talk about some of the reasons why that might have happened. I think there's both negative reasons why, why that happened, but also I think it was unfairly maligned, as is something we talk about in this podcast at the same time. Um, we've started talking about it, so maybe let's just introduce it. I'm going to do the synopsis because I didn't prepare Jess to do that. I often like my <laughs> guests to do it, but I'll... I'll take this one and I've actually uh, written this down for once so that's really good I was doing um, a podcast with Tony for Indie Comics Spotlight um, and I asked for like the next book which was a book called Tamara Drew and he said go on Ria tell me about it and I was like 
fuck I haven't like thought about that at all I was just like we're just gonna do tomorrow Drew yay and they asked me to do a synopsis and I was like uh so there's a woman called Tamara I was like that was it it was like the worst uh okay so Drop Dead Gorgeous is a satirical black comedy drama I guess it's a comedy drama isn't it filmed like a mockumentary it's about a small town beauty pageant focusing on the two main contestants, underdog Amber Atkins, which is played by Kirsten Dunst, and the richest girl in town, Becky Lehman, who is Denise Richards. There's lots of other amazing people in early roles. We've got Amy Adams, Brittany Murphy. Um, and I guess the other main protagonist is Becky's mum, uh, Kirsty Alley. She's a previous pageant winner, and she's the head of this, page- this year's pageant organizing committee as it gets closer to pageant day uh the contestants and their families mysterious dangerous events start to happen uh and we start to wonder who is behind all the murders i guess (laughs) this film is a lot more weirdly complex than that (laughs) what i love is that um The, the way that the, so like the, the way that you've just talked about the film, it makes it sound like really like, it makes it sound almost like a bit thrillery. Like they just, all these murders, they just start dying. But like the actual film, when people just die, they just die. And then it's like, oh, they died. <laughs> yeah, like, that's one of the things that I love. As they're the bits that I find the most funny. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so there's a bit where a potential love interest for Amber, uh, <laughs> she, so she, Amber works in a morgue. And she just like lifts up a sheet and he's just there and he's just been shot in the head. And it's like, oh yeah, there he is, he's just dead. And nobody really reacts. I was like, oh yeah, he's just dead there. And I was like, I don't know why it's so funny, but it's, and well, I think Kirsten Dunst as well just plays it so perfectly because she's playing like the sweet, innocent character. And then her timing on it, her comedy timing is just so great. She's just like, yeah, I mean, the weird thing is it was just shot straight between the eyes. And then she just goes off and continues doing makeup on another body. So funny. I loved it so much. And like um, the first one just gets blown up on a track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd actually forgotten that happened. I hadn't watched it for ages and I knew that she died, but I couldn't. I was like, how does how does Tammy die? I can't remember. And I saw her going along on the track and then going behind the hill. And they leave it for that beat just to like just too long. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. She she yeah. explodes. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I also found them the most funny bits. That- in the in in the movie I just love it I love that sort of dry like that dry comedy it's it's my total jam so yeah I love that so So on that do you want to do a quick mini review of the film for me yes absolutely so the first word that comes to mind is totally confusing (laughs) I was (laughs) because I I clocked on about 20 minutes in that it's kind of sort of that it's satirical I didn't read any of the reviews mm. I didn't read the synopsis before I watched the movie I was just like Rhea told me to watch this movie and I'm gonna watch this movie um and so like you know I'm watching it and like oh cool you know the first thing I noticed is the accents yes um and I never pick up I, I, I it's rare that I, I pick up on the differences between um you know American accents state by state or whatever um but that was the first thing that I picked up on was the the accent and I'm not sure if it's exaggerated because I don't know anything about um Minnesota 
Yes. So yeah, it's perfectly exact. It's purposefully accurate. Oh my God, why can't I say it? Purposefully exaggerated as far as I am aware from my reading of it. So the filmmaker is from uh, from Minnesota, I believe. Um, I completely forgotten her name. I want to say Lorna something. God, this is bad hosting, isn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, I'm just going to have a quick look at everyone. Lorna Williams. I kept on going to say Lorna Michaels, but that's because I was thinking of Lorna Michaels from all the comedy TV shows. Anyway, so Lorna Williams is from, it's like very much based on where she grew up, but trying, you know, because the whole thing's exaggerated. Yes. You know, well, I mean, <laughs> There are some bits which I would say are still very true to life now, which we'll get onto. But yeah, the accents, you know, she asked all the actors and the director asked all the actors to to really overplay the Minnesota accent. Well, I think that's fine. You can definitely take the mick out of the place that you're from. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I do think that is an issue with the film that I don't think it's so she so there's certain scenes that she based on her own life as well so things like when they're doing the dance with their steps and they're painting oh, really? like that yeah so but I think one of the mistranslations of this film is it's seen as mocking rather than being satirical and I think that's one of the problems with the tone because when you realize it's satirical and then go and watch it again and everything's exaggerated but still trying to say something about beauty pageants about how women are seen all of these sort of things it works much better but going in cold not knowing any of these things I think you it, you can be quite taken aback and not quite be on the you know be on the on the bandwagon of the film I guess well yeah because to me <laughs> for me when I when I when I started watching it I was like this <laughs> I, I, I was like, this is just a collection of of awful and gross. <laughs> <tropes>. <laughs> this is this movie has just collected a bunch of really gross tropes <laughs> about you know like tropes taken from like classic films or or just culture in in general, and they've just put it all into one film. And I was like, I I, I mean, I hope this is taking the mick. And then I realized it was. So and I think I think that's your point about satirical um versus mocking and I think to be honest I think it's hard for movies to get um Mm. satire right um so but I'm not an expert on on the on the ways in which you can make satire land correctly um I'm just coming at it of a person without any film experience I just I'm just a viewer and I view for entertainment so when I was watching it I was like ew 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 oh I get it I get Mm -hmm. it okay and then I started watching it through a different lens because I was like, okay, I think I get what the movie's trying to do. Um, And so my kind of initial view of the movie as a whole was I understand that it was trying to kind of almost subvert some of the classical tropes around women. I get that. So like um, things like, and we can go get into this a little bit more later, but like, I, mean, I think like, let's just get into it now. I think you're doing a great job talking about it. So if you want to start talking about it now, go for it. Yay. Okay. So I think some of the, the, the sort of, I think it tries to subvert some of the classical tropes. And by that, I mean, um, so, um, sort of like sexual, like the sexual voyeurism and, mm-hmm. and sort of, 
and sort of predatory nature that that women are often subject to in narratives but 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 it's just something that is normalized so i think in a lot of movies um women just have to deal with like creepy behavior from men they have to deal their bodies are super sexualized they have to do super sexualized things and that's just normalized that's just like whatever that's part of the story cool no worries but here because they exaggerate it so they have that, that like super creepy man yeah <laughs> And because I knew it was satire, I found it funny when he's just like, oh, yeah, the, the young girls, I mean, the contestants. Yeah, this is just my cam. This is just my my camcorder. I just <laughs> Yeah, by my creepy van. I love that they have him in a creepy camper van. Yeah. Like that to me is chef kiss perfect. Yeah, loved um, it. And I think there's like, something. In... So you go. <laughs> Carry on. I was like, we're doing really well. Yeah. Um, I was just like. Just for insurance purposes, yeah, just like camcorder for insurance purposes. <laughs> I just loved it. But because I knew it was satire mm-hmm. at that point, I was like, okay, no, this is satire. I get it. It's supposed to be creepy. And literally the whole town just sits there and watches them practice their dance in these like skimpy um, vests and like skimpy shorts. Like none of them are wearing bras, which is fine because they're like teenagers and they're not supposed to wear bras. But they're obviously older actresses playing younger women. So they've all got boobs. None of, none was, of so you're a lot younger than me, but there was also a time period from like 1998 to sort of early 2000s where no women in films wore bras. It was like this really weird thing. It was like bras had just disappeared off the planet. Thanos had come along, clicked his fingers, and bras had disappeared <laughs> for half of the population. Like genuinely, it was. And so Kevin and I have a running joke about it. We're like, we know when this film was made because nobody's wearing a fucking bra. And by and by Thanos, do you mean Harvey Weinstein just came and clicked? <laughs> nice. All the all the bras just disappeared. <laughs> Harvey came yeah, in so, and went, no bras, no bras, no bras. And guess what? No fucker did anything about exactly. it. Exactly. No fucking bras here. Um, so I get so so those are some of the sort of trophy things that I picked up on that the that the film was trying to like highlight, spotlight through satire, which I love. But while trying to subvert or highlight some of these really gross tropey things it played directly into other um derogatory or discriminatory narratives um and if we're thinking about you know this is a kind of feminist chat right so if we're thinking about um if we're thinking about feminism as intersectional i don't think that we can ignore some of the other narratives that it plays into and by that i mean like the whole the random narrative around this like fat man who has learning disabilities and his fat dad and how they're just just like bumping into each other and fighting and he's like doing all this weird shit and everyone's calling him a retard and i mean that word in itself thankfully mostly disappeared um, this will be so, the only time in this podcast we use that word because I, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, for now, I'm going to call it the R word when we refer to it, just Perfect. for there people to know it's not, you know, you're not endorsing the use of the word, you're doing no. it to illustrate a point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for making that clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, we can talk about the use of that word in a minute, but but it but it specifically the way that um, fat people are portrayed and the mm-hmm. way that learning with uh, people with learning disabilities are portrayed. Um, they are very much the butt of the joke. 
Yeah. And we see that a lot in a lot of films. That's very, very normalized. And it's only, I think only very recently have I seen examples of that not happening, but mm -hmm. it's still very much part of the sort of um, mainstream um, approach to, to filmmaking is fat people being the butt of the joke. Mm -hmm. um, but it was heightened because they were, this character was fat and had learning disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I just never thought, so I was trying to watch it with a kind of, you know, just trying to be as objective as possible. But even in terms of like the film itself and the the whole narrative, I don't really see how that character fed into the wider story. It's not a story about, um, about a fat man with learning disability and, and, and the role that he plays in this beauty pageant. That's not the story. The story is about the beauty pageant and all the women involved and the fact that some of them are dying and it's this whole like thing. Why is he there? And why is he the butt of the joke? Like you can be satirical and, um, you know, you can be satirical in the ways that we've talked about already uh, with the creepy man and the camcorder and stuff without having to make a fat man with learning disabilities the butt of your joke. Like it's just unnecessary. And I'm glad you brought it up now because it's one of the first, first things I wanted to address before we went to talk about the rest of it. And I think it fits in well with what we were talking about in terms of the tone of the film. I think there's some things that they hit on perfectly, like I said, with the, with the creepy judge guy, Chef Kiss Perfect. But this is, you know, is it a product of its time in terms of there were characters in films like that? at the time that this film was made, yes. But this film presents itself as smarter than that. And so when you watch it, especially now, it's really disappointing when you see it. Um, you know, the R word is just littered throughout the screenplay. And, you know, I'm not saying it means that this piece of media needs to be wiped off the face of the earth as some people do, but I think it means that we need to have constructive conversations about where we are now and why we don't do that and why people should not be represented like that. So one of the th things I like to ask at the end, and we'll go into it properly, is who would you show this film to? Now, I would love to show this to my daughter when she's a teenager, but I would sit down and watch it with her and very much caveat, there are things in this film that are not appropriate, are offensive, um, that, you know, I would hope she would never say these words or treat somebody like that anyway, but, you know, if after watching this film you think that's funny it is 100% not and we will have conversations about it and I do think that's where this film fails a lot now I say that as somebody who loves this film but it would be so much better if those scenes were just taken out I, I even I don't really understand narratively why they're there the only thing I can think of is it's trying to make fun of small town USA although you know, the writer specifically said that's not what she was trying to do. Yeah, I think it's, you can, you know, it's what we talk about with the patriarchy, right? That it's, you know, it was what's in the soil is in everything else. And so the writer may not have been meaning to do that at the time, but because society said it's okay to make fun of people with learning disabilities, it's whacked in there for humour. And it's, it just doesn't sit right. No, and I do think it's important, as you say, um, not to just completely dismiss films like this because they 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 help they help to teach us a lesson about how we've changed as a society mm -hmm. um 
because if we didn't have these films to look at through the lens of our current culture, current society, we wouldn't have any reference point, you know? Um, I think, and I think it feeds into a wider discussion about things like cancel culture, because people mm -hmm. look at, um, they look at media, film, comedy, et cetera, from 10, 20 years ago, and they say, oh my gosh, this is so awful and discriminatory and awful, you know, we, you know, it must be removed from the face of the internet or whatever. But they're missing the point because if instead of just canceling it, wiping it away, pretending it never existed, we should be looking at it through our current lens and being like, okay, what is wrong with this piece of media? Mm -hmm. Why is it wrong? What was the culture like at the time? And what has been done since then to make us now think that this is wrong? And how can we use this as, as a piece of learning for other people who might not believe that things like anti-fat bias or um, even, even like racism in certain, in, certain, um, in certain ways still exists? And you can say, well, does this, does this scene here, does this look familiar to you in any kind of way? Have you ever seen this play out in real life? If so, it still very much exists. Mm -hmm. So I think there is benefit in watching these films, but like you say, heavily caveated. Yeah, and you know, I think the I think the anti-fatness is handled both really well and really poorly in this film. I think it's all over the place. I think I, I really want to talk about the the previous year's beauty queen and her anorexia, which I think for some people lands quite poorly. For me, I think satirically lands very well. And I say that as somebody who has had an eating disorder, um, I, you know, I, I think we'll talk about that in a minute. I just want to touch on it now so it's in our minds. And I think there's there's a moment where um, Amber says about she's got her dress and it's like Diane Sawyer's. Um, and she says, oh, Diane was a little bit hippie back then, um, as in she had wider hips. So, you know, she's uh, uh, she's skinnier, which for me both lands really well and really poorly. Like, I don't like it. But as a 17 year old girl, I probably said something similar, you know, at the same same age um and again you know back at that time it was all when everybody had to look like Kate Moss and you know Kate Moss said nothing is as good as skinny feels which is the most bullshit saying so I don't like seeing it in media in 2021 but also I understand why it's there and I it is you know it's the, it's those sort of things that make this film tricky to talk about you know we've not got long to talk about it <laughs> I think we could sit here and talk about it for like five hours um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's a film I'm never going to watch or talk about is Shallow How, for example, um, because just fuck off. And on the spectrum of things, this film isn't there, but I do think it talks about anti, you know, it's very anti-fat, again, of its time, works well in the beauty pageant stuff that they're talking about but when it's incidental characters like the two brothers the one that's the judge and then his his brother who has learning disabilities it just doesn't need to be there at all no i think i think that's completely right um but yeah so i think i think that kind of summarizes my sort of 
like review review of it like my mini review of it I, I think because I can I can see what the movie's trying to do and I think in 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 one way it does it but um but there are plenty of other things that it doesn't get correct mm-hmm. or, or correct it's not the right word there are plenty of other things that just don't work it just um, misses the mark it just misses yeah. the mark it might have done at the time people might have laughed and found it funny you know I'm not convinced about that I think there are some criticisms about it that land really well so one of the criticisms is that you know the jokes start off quite strong gets a bit weaker in the middle and it's and it loses the its tone and consistency of tone which I 100% agree with and then just looking at it now it is bad looking at it now just I want to move us on because I think we could talk about this for ages um one of my favorite things about this film is how it views women so you've already touched on on this subject but I think especially at the time that it came out with you know we had pop stars like Britney Spears Christina Aguilera and stuff like that for me it perfect perfectly captures how teenage girls were supposed to be desirable and sexy but within very strict constraints so you know these these girls young women have to go on stage and they're not allowed to wear raunchy outfits but they're still wearing you know like very flattering outfits you know cleavage clings to their bodies they're still doing quite a sexy suggestive dance even though they're not supposed to be you know they're practicing in their little shorts and tank tops and stuff like that but then you get Amy Adams's character and she is too sexy and I think she plays her her character absolutely perfectly um you know so Leslie she's called isn't so she's a cheerleader she's clearly popular she's clearly having sex with her boyfriend consensual sex she loves sex fantastic how amazing is that to see that she's like a woman who's like I am horny and I want to bang my hot footballer boyfriend I love it um I think when I first watched it I think I was supposed to be slut shaming her but I never felt that about her character ever I was like she's she's just like She's a bit, well, I hate the trope that she's like a ditzy cheerleader, but you know, in terms of her sexuality, she's really owning it. Um, but I like that her character's supposedly too sexy because she's got her own agency in wanting sex and wanting to bang her hot boyfriend and that she herself, she's Amy Adams, of course, she's incredibly hot. Um, but yeah, that whole thing of, you know, the, 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 the young women, they have to have a talent, they have to love Jesus, uh, you know, they're God-fearing country. They, you know, they have to be attractive, but not too attractive as well. I really like that. How do you feel the film lands all those sort that that sort of, that part of the satire? In terms of how it represents women? Well, in terms of, do you think it captures that sort of, you know, very much teenagers have to be sexy, but in constraints, you know, women have to be attractive, but only to, an ideological standard you know I think it's worth noting that although the women are all slender and are all attractive there's obviously some we're supposed to think are less attractive than the others but there are also no women of colour they're all white uh, they're all able-bodied you know I think we can touch on those criticisms lightly because that's not what this film is about what but what this film is about is the representations of women especially in American pageants so that's what I would like to talk about. Yeah, so I think just to continue on what you what you said, so so these women are portrayed as sort of, you know, they need to fit within a specific mm-hmm. um, within specific constraints. Um, you listed most of them, but I think the one that you didn't list 
um, is proud to be American. Ah, uh, I can't wait to talk about the weird yeah. nationalism of this film, in, but in a good way, because clearly the writer and director have strong opinions about Americans. But that's exactly it, right? So they need to be proud to be America. And it fits into this like weird narrative that I, that I, that I remember as a kid just being like, so movies are telling me that everybody just wants to go to America because it's the best <laughs> country in the world. And now I have absolutely no interest in going to America. I don't want to go there. It's, I just, I just don't, <laughs> you know, but like, I don't, I don't want to be like, shot. I don't want like, no. I don't want to like pay for any healthcare. I don't want, if I get my, if I need an abortion, I don't want people shouting at me and throwing pig's blood on me. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. don't want, I don't want, it- I don't want people hating me because I'm a woman I don't want people hating me because I don't fit into a particular ideal I don't want to be around a bunch of racists America sort your shit out yeah I also don't want to watch 10,000 adverts <laughs> between, between the first and the second part of this 30 minute episode that I want to watch <laughs> but yeah so like it feeds into this whole um you know proud to be American and you know and, and what does that what does that mean what does it mean a- yeah for a white young woman, mm-hmm. because like you said, there are next to no um, women of color in the whole film. In the in terms of beauty pageant contestants, literally no women of color. One of the one of the white women was like, "Oh, I'm, I'm American Asian," and I think if they've done that thing where they've cast a white woman to to to, to be like a an American Asian woman. No, it's because she was adopted by her Japanese parents. Oh, so right. that's okay, why. Because I was like, I mean, she's not American Asian, but okay, okay, I get it. That that's fine. Um, but it's but yeah, interesting so that didn't land for you because I felt with her character, they make a really big deal of the fact that her that she's adopted as a teenager by parents who have come come over to America and they already have a daughter but they ignore her because she's not American enough and it's interesting because they pushed that really hard but you just didn't pick up on it at all no I did pick up on it but But as in terms of when she says I'm American Asian yeah yeah so but what I was going to go on and say because like the whole that scene where we have um we have the Asian parents, the, you know, the white adopted um, teenager, and then the Asian teenager, that I was like, okay, this is telling me that they think America is a place where all immigrants want to go and acclimatize immediately. That is telling me that immigrants go to America and instantly want to do everything they can to be American. They just drop their culture and then try and pick up American culture in every every single way they can, um, because America's great and everything else is rubbish. Like that's what that scene told me. But isn't that and what Americans what, think? That's what the American yeah. dream is, right? Anybody can come to America and be American. I mean, it's not true. The American dream is bullshit. Unless you're white, you you can't come to America and be American. Like there's they're saying a lot of commentary around what Americans think it is to be American. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I mean when I say the proud to be America narrative and, and the, the proud to be America constraint within um, the beauty contestants have to fit in is also a really, really key theme of this film because, you know, like I said, when I was a kid, it was just like, I, was, I would watch these, these movies made in Hollywood and they'd all be like, oh, 
America is just the best place to be. And and so I, when I watched that, I was like, this is just American bullshit being like, we're the best and everything else is rubbish, especially when it comes to a, you know, Asian immigrants, like Asian immigrants just want to drop their culture and come, come to America and, you know, la-di-da, whatever. So in terms of satire, I think that, I think that landed well because, it, because they, they, they really hyped up that, that common narrative. It's not even, it's more than common. It's just like, it, it's a thread that runs through every single movie um, that I've watched about, you know, every single like movie that I've watched set in America. Like there, there, there is just always something that tells the viewer America is the best and mm. this is why. Um, but maybe I was just a little bit tired when I watched <laughs> No, I no, watched. it's one, it's a huge theme of it. It's, yeah, yeah, that bit specifically. <laughs> yeah. I just missed it. It was like, oh, she's, she's not but, Asian. But, what the fuck's But again, on? like, you know, does it mean that joke landed? Now, I've watched this film before, so I find that joke very funny because I'm just like, because I'm, for all the reasons you just said, I'm like such American bullshit. It makes me laugh, you know, because also I think that is a bit of an American thing I think there's a lot you know there's lots of Americans who say they're Irish and it's like have never visited Ireland it doesn't mean that your heritage isn't you know isn't from Ireland but you're not Irish are you personal opinion hot take but that's how I feel about it um and but I do you know I I love the whole American America's great theme I, I think that hits just every note perfectly it's so so funny you know when they're doing the uh, their pre- the presentations at the pageant and they've all got their big hats on, their headdresses, their American <laughs> things, and the, and the one woman who's like, oh, I, I didn't understand the assignment. Didn't get the assignment, sorry. <laughs> yeah, and then the ball of twine. Big, yeah, it's a big ball of twine <laughs> on her head and it falls over. Oh, I loved it so much. It's so oh, good. But- but talking about the hypersexualization, like Amy Adams is just there, like with this. Ah, oh, that's my favorite. With she's this like massive statue on her there. head, yeah, <laughs> You're just wanking off the massive statue on her head. I think she played that role so well. Oh, I loved it. I love, but yeah, in terms of so, I I definitely picked up on the kind of this is you know they're they're really playing on the fact that all like teenagers teenagers and, and teenager doesn't mean 18 like teenagers mean yeah. 16 15 14 like teenagers and I don't think we're ever told how old these 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 women are I think right? they're 17 I think they're supposed to be 17 um so because they're all still in high school aren't they so yeah, yeah yeah they're still in high school um but yeah these te- it definitely played into the hypersexualization of the of 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 the female body as it were um, but I think one of my favorite scenes from Amy Adams was when she turned to um, she turned to Amber and she was like, "Can you see the love bite on my neck?" And she's like, "No, don't worry." She's like, "But can you see all the bite marks on my ear?" And she's like, "No, don't worry." She's like, "And I know you can't see this, but all the bruises on my inner thigh." And she's like, "Shut up." <laughs> <laughs> I get it. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, and I, I think you're right. I think the viewer is supposed to look, but I don't know. This is the thing. So, satire confuses the hell out of me I don't know I don't know what they're trying to get me to think and what they're trying to like Mm. dramatize because to me she's just loving that she's like she's I'm I'm not sure if I as a viewer I'm supposed to look at her and think oh my god what a slut like I don't I don't I don't know if that's how I'm supposed to feel it is it certainly isn't how I feel but I'm also not watching it as a 16 year old I mean um 
if I've, I, but yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not watching it as a, as a teenager. Um, and I'm not watching it at the time that it came out. I, I'm mm-hmm. not watching it within that culture. So me, um, you know, being a person or, or, or being a woman who is, who's all about, um, you know, creating it and creating and exploring your sexual identity and not, not, you know, not feeling like you have to fit within any kind of sexual boundaries, all that kind of stuff. I didn't, I didn't look at it and think, I think I'm supposed to feel like she's a slut, Mm -hmm. but I would be really interested to see how, how other people, how that landed with other people. Yeah, and I think it would depend on the audiences, right? I think there's certain audiences that would totally just be like, she's a she's a slut. And when it's her talking about when she thinks that she's pregnant as well, which is hilarious, it's so good. I love that scene as well. She absolutely nails it. Um, oh, yes, because they're like, oh... Um, the documentary so... crew say to her, you know, how are you feeling or something like that? And she... you can, you can I think they were on. like something about... Um when are you due or when are you due on and she was like two months <laughs> oh no how how far along or something something like that but it wasn't to do with pregnancy and she's like about two months <laughs> and they're like no no stage and she's like oh in about 10 minutes <laughs> something like that you know I think a conservative viewer would very much be like she's a slut and she's pregnant oh gosh of course she is she's a cheerleader a teenage cheerleader having sex of course she's pregnant little sluts whereas I feel like people not so much on that side of their of their views would may may still think that especially the time that it came out again I Mm -hmm. I don't know but I think she's supposed to be put in that sort of slut category but I think Mm -hmm. Amy Adams is such a good actress and I and I do think there are things in the script that that play against what I think it is supposed to be the slut role but I think she's such a good actress and she feels it was such charm and sweetness and ownership of who the character is that I think that that certainly doesn't come across to me it didn't at the time but then you know maybe I was a lot more innocent and didn't really think you should go around calling people sluts then but um I mean I still don't by the way but certainly now I don't feel that at all I feel like she's a very very strong character do you think it would be different if she didn't have a boyfriend? Yes, yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. So, so I, yeah, so I think that, I think that might also be a key part in it mm. because she's a cheerleader. Because she is also, yeah, she's sort of, um, she's kind of owning her sexuality um, and the fact that she's obviously having sex with her boyfriend, but she is also in a heteronormative and very typical American cheerleader football player high school relationship so I think sweetheart even yeah so I think that that probably would have reduced the amount of slut shaming that she got from conservative audience yeah and of course you know she's a cheerleader if you're going to have the slut character you make her a cheerleader because cheerleaders dress provocatively they do sexy dances I mean they're also in great like incredible gymnasts and have to train incredibly hard and you know unfortunately due to the society we live in have to take care of their appearance but you know let's not bother talking about the fact that they're amazing athletes Um, yeah but of course if you're going to do the tropes like if you're you know there's the there's the trope of the of the young woman who's an actress you know of course she's doing Soylent Green of course she is because when you're a teenager and you read Soylent Green you're your mind's blown you're like oh my god they were eating people all the whole time you know 
because you just do. And of course, she's, you know, doing being very dramatic and over the top. So they're, they're doing all the tropes. My problem is I don't know if the script is strong enough for audience to understand that they're purposefully doing tropes. Well, but this is it. Like I, <laughs> let me be very clear. If I had watched this on my own without, without my wonderful friend, my, without my wonderful film Buffy friend, Rhea Carrigan having asked me to do it so I could chat about it. <laughs> they're on a podcast about films (laughs) I would not have watched it with such a critical eye Mm. um so I think you I think it doesn't land with your average viewer Mm. I I really don't so um I'll take my wonderful mum like she's like me in that she well I'm I'm a little less like this now um I tend to watch movies now looking for things like stereotypes tropes and stuff like that but my mum just watches films for entertainment. Mm. Like, and to the point where we'll be watching a film together, she'll just start fast forwarding it if she's bored. Really? Oh my God, <laughs> yeah. that's mind blowing. Yeah, she'll just start, I'll be like, hello, I'm here. I'm sat right next to you. <laughs> yeah, but I'm bored. I'm like, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm watching I'm, this I'm film. I'm actually watching this thing. I'm, I'm still here. I'm still watching <laughs> it. Um, she just watches it for entertainment. If she gets mm. bored, she turns it off. She starts fast forwarding or whatever. And when I've spoken to her about films that I think, um, you know, that I think are really, um, what's the word? Films that I think are um, problematic, that's the word, mm-hmm. problematic in in their narrative, etc. She's just like, oh yeah, no, I, I, I just like the film. It was, it was nice or whatever. So we've also got to think about because we are sort of dissecting this film and like trying to explore all the, all, all the different themes, but we've also got to think about an audience who just watches, who just watch films for, to, to switch off their brain or for entertainment or have them as background. And so they won't pick up on all these subtle, and, and that's why when I think about satire, I think about very obvious comedic effect, very mm. obvious comedic effect. And that's again why I don't think I, I don't think this would have the point they were trying to make. I don't think it would have landed. I think mm. s- some of the points that they were trying, some of the tropes that they were trying to subvert or change, they would have just played into them because mm. the satire wasn't strong enough. You know, it, it would have been strong enough for a certain audience, but not not for you just you know your average film viewer who just mm. watches it for entertainment and they wouldn't have picked up on it and so are you really doing what you want to do with this film but also does that damage how the film you know how how popular or unpopular the film became because you know I watched this film and I I saw myself in multiple characters but also you know in in the underdog in you know when I was 17 we didn't have much money there wasn't many life opportunities for me you know I had been in quite a few dark places and I liked that dark humor you know I I really connected with it I felt like I guess a misfit we would say if we you know for using common term you know more up-to-date terminology I would never have said myself I was that at the time um you know so I I like I felt weird like this film this film is weird and it's harsh and it's brash and that's how I felt at the time so I immediately connected with it and but like you said I don't think even a teenage girl you know whose life is pretty average I don't know if she would have picked up this film and gone 
oh yeah I get this film I understand it and and it's very interesting that these days with its cult following it does tend to be women of a certain age and more of a queer culture that have really embraced this film and have have brought it back into the limelight and I think that says it all it is a misfit of a film both in itself because it is up and down like it is crazy but also in the term in terms of who connected with it and and why it spoke to certain people yeah no absolutely I mean I'd be interested to know what some of the reviews said so I was going to go and do some of the reviews and then I was like I think we just want to start cracking on talking about it but in general uh if we want to look at some of the sort of not real statistics because Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic aren't Metacritic aren't great statistics but so Metacritic the score the score is 28% out of 100 based on 28 critics reviews unfavorable reviews so that's not great um loads of people dislike the film as a whole but they think like but Alison Janney and Denise Richards received a lot of praise for their performances which I think is really sad because I think Kirsten Dunst is just brilliant she's amazing in this film and Brittany Murphy is I mean you totally understand why she got typecast in every single role because you watch her in this film and she is just like she's so wonderful and just bubbly and you you again she's so great you immediately get her character from that very first scene that she's on in this film you get her character same with Amy Adams I mean who knew Amy Adams was going to go off and do amazingly big things this was her first ever film yeah I mean for Brittany Murphy my favorite part of the film is towards the end she says to her dad Peter's, she's like Peter's gay dad he's gay <laughs> she just screams it and walks off it's so good uh, we'll, we're going to come brilliant. back onto her character because I think she really ties together one of the main themes of the film for me um in terms of reviews I mean a lot of people saying the writing's not sophisticated enough that some of the jokes don't hit and I agree I think I do think the writing's when the writing's good and I hate people say this but when the writing's good it's good when the writing's bad it's not terrible but it doesn't hit the mark in the same way and I think that's where it suffers um what other things there uh, it, uh there's a criticism about it being derivative um uh you know just all those sort of for me I don't think all the criticisms are wrong but I think that they often miss the point and I think this is something I've talked about before I talked about in the first episode on Joe about Josie and the Pussycat Pussycats you know these reviews aren't going and asking misfit teenage girls what they thought of the film or you know people who haven't had you haven't been able to come out or feel different and all of those sort of things they're not the people who get asked about how they feel about these films these critics are men who you know white men who are watching it and they're never going to get it and it doesn't mean that their criticisms are invalid, but I don't think that they can truly understand the film. Now, I'm not saying like you have to be a woman to understand a film about women or anything like that. But I think that critics, male critics, especially at the time, were unwilling to put them, themselves in those shoes. And I think many films from that time suffer from that. I, I talked about it with Tony and Jason, the Pussycats they see it more personally than they're being able to criticize it as a whole if that makes sense I feel like you've just described most of what white male behavior is <laughs> <laughs> they refuse to put themselves in other people's shoes they feel like they take it personally <laughs> 
you've solved it tick <laughs> now what do we do about it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no you're right that's exactly that's exactly what critics would have done now um do, do we do we have any idea about how it landed when it actually came out like bombed um, absolutely bombed really? like, yeah oh, that's so interesting it found and its I audience wonder- on on video afterwards um you know yeah. people going to blockbuster video and stuff like blockbuster video <laughs> um and how was satire received in jet ge- like do we know was there any other kind of satirical comedy yeah um like that landed know, well at the same kind of time at the same kind of time i don't know but you know you've got films like spinal tap best in show um you know I mean, it's unfair to compare them to that. Kevin and I were laughing about this last night. You can't compare them to that, like two of the greatest satirical comedies in the whole world um, of all time. So you can't really compare them to that. But I don't think there had been anything aimed at young people and young women, particularly that was satirical comedy. I might be wrong, but it's not even a comedy. You know, there's it's there's drama as well it's like a comedy drama it's dark humor isn't it and I think it really stepped out of the boundaries of teen films teen movies of that time to try and do it and you know not all of it lands and that's fine it it's a disappointment but actually overall I think that makes it something quite special even if it doesn't really work yeah no I like that it was different to other sort of teen other sort of teen comedies I I really liked I mean because I like I said I I love that humor that is that is my mm. humor <laughs> anything that's completely dry and not like sort of canned laughter like I love that humor um I loved the fact that for half the movie Amber's mom has um a beer so can burned into her hand <laughs> I love Amber's mum, Annette, yeah. and her best friend, Alison Janney, Loretta. Oh, so funny. But you've brought me onto something I want to talk about, which is female friendship in this film. So I like to talk about it in, every, in terms of all the films I'm talking about in feminine film, because I think it's quite... It, for me, it's really important. I think we don't see great female friendships on, on we, film. Yeah, we see more female versus female um and like women being pitted against each other based on their looks and popularity we see a lot more of that than we do female friendship yeah exactly Um, but yeah so what I loved just before we go into female friendship another thing that I loved about Amber's mum is that when you first meet it you're like oh god okay well this is just she's just going to be another drunk mum character who you know is who mistreats her daughter mm-hmm. and it's just like a bit rubbish maybe a bit of a villain like that's you know but by the end of it she's a great character um they completely flip that trope you know because yeah. she she's what you see is her being incredibly supportive um and her like being there for her daughter um but they 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 do it in a brilliant way because the whole time she's got a fucking beard cap infused into her hand but she's still like being supportive (laughs) and like turning up for the pageant and and, like I loved it they were just yeah they did it excellently but that is a classic that is a great example of them um 
slipping that trope yeah you know I love it because it's they, so good they, yeah they introduce you to one thing and you're like I know what's what's going to happen here and it just doesn't happen and I really like that yeah it's really good so what were we going to talk about so let's talk about female friendship in this film then I love the female friendship in this film specifically between Amber's mum and her best friend so Annette and Loretta and I think it's done so well I think both actors play it as if they have been best friends forever and they completely know each other and I just I absolutely love it and I love their back and forth uh, as as some people say their bants Ugh. um it's the most annoying word ever um and I think that's done really well and I think Brittany Murphy as well in terms of the the women in the pageant the young women at the pageant she is like the thread that makes it feel like everybody apart from obviously uh, Denise Richards character Becky makes it feel like they're all friends how do you feel about female friendship in this film yeah it came through very clearly for me um especially because I see um some of those female friendships in, in the friendships that I have and I love it when that happens mm. um I don't like the word bants, but I do like the word banter. <laughs> That's what I think they had. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so Amber's mum and her friend, um, that's exactly how I, I love to be with my friends. Like taking the piss out of each other, you know, just, just strolling into someone's house because you've known them forever. And like, just like sitting there and like having a chat. And then like, I, I just, I just love it. But like, they've truly got each other's backs. And, right. because, and, and, and because of their friendship, um amber's mum's friend has amber's back yeah and that's what i love so it's 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 the be- in my in my opinion it's the best kind of friendship because there are no you don't have to do like airs and graces you know what gets on each other's nerves sometimes you wind each other up just for the fun of it but but you know that you're gonna have each other's backs um and you know and she's all she's like a second parent isn't she absolutely absolutely and which is just so wonderful and you know she's entrusted with amber when her mum's in hospital she's there at the hospital with annette like we see her there with amber straight away she is a family member you know she doesn't leave her side and then when amber needs to go to it's not nationals is it whatever like state or whatever yeah um you know it's it's loretta that's there because amber's mum can't go she is I think there's a lot to be said about women parenting in this film through that friendship. You know, they are the, the constant in Amber's life, those two women. And they are always there for her. They're always providing for her. And they're her steady rock. You know, when she starts to have doubts, it's those two women who say to her, you have got this. You are talented. You can do this. And I think that's amazing. Um, I agree. But I also feel like we're making it sound like it's, it's, it's a lot more... Um... Um, it's a lot it's a lot more softly softly than it is I mean at one point Amber's mum hits her in the head with a beer (laughs) (laughs) so no you shouldn't laugh at but it is amazing but it's (laughs) the fact that the beer can as well is on her hand it's fused to her skin (laughs) but it is funny I love the bit when it's on her hand and uh and Loretta's like just finish off the beer in your in your can and she (laughs) tries to drink it it's the best but yeah so and again it's like that I I really love it when when a film makes characters complex Mm. and um so the relationship that amber has with her mother is complex because you know at the beginning of the movie amber's mother was just yelling at her like go get my smokes but but at the end of the movie in the middle of the movie she's 
you know she's saying like you can do this you can absolutely mm-hmm. do this and then you know at one point she hits her in the head with a beer can but it's funny so there's you know satirical comedy and you know a complicated kind of relationship but the core of it is supportive and the core of it is 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 beneficial to amber mm-hmm. i think yeah absolutely so we want to talk about an aspect where as you've already mentioned we are slightly might be slight have slightly different opinions which is around eating disorder so i guess we should also say trigger warning around that we're going to I, I presume talk in some depth about this. Um, so it's around the previous winner of the, the previous year of the Mount Rose, Sarah Rose Cosmetics team, American team, princess pageant, beauty pageant. Oh my God, that's really hard to say. Um, <laughs> Do we have a go? Yeah, go on, you give it a go. Okay. So I think one of the um, aspects of the film that we should talk about is the representation of eating disorders, um, because I believe that one of the characters in the movie is the previous year's winner of the Mount Rose Sarah something cosmetics. Um, <laughs> I like that we both keep on struggling with that. Yeah, we'll just say Mount Rose something something blah blah cosmetics beauty pageant beauty pageant. <laughs> but she is the um, so yeah so there's a character who is um, the previous year's winner of the beauty pageant, and her role in the movie is um, someone who clearly has anorexia. Um, she spends most of her time. Um, in the hospital. Um, I mean, I must say that um, the, the way that they've done the hospital, like the, the decor in the hospital, I think adds to this kind of satire uh, vibe. It, it's like the walls are covered in like bright pink, like um, heavily patterned wallpaper, just like covered in wallpaper. Everything's like Everything's a shade of pink. Everything in the room, in the hospital room. It's a giant hospital room as well. And everything is a shade of pink. And it's all like, yeah. So they're trying to, I think they're just trying to picture it. Like, to me, that said, we're painting over the cracks. Everything's fine. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I know is heavily like that. I think that feeds into the satire. Um, And, but but the, the thing that I have a problem with is that she is so, she is so like mentally, they've, they've just pitched her as completely not anywhere in reality. Like she is, she's like, she, Ditsy's not even the word. It's kind of like, she has absolutely no idea what's going on. She's just like, she's like always in a daze and she's like smiling. She's like, oh and I just um and 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 maybe it's because I have a I have a specific I mean I have a specific history with one version of an eating disorder and I know I know you do as well um but to me it was like they didn't have to picture as someone who had absolutely no clue what was going on or, or someone who had absolutely no idea of her situation and and she was just painted as really stupid, really stupid, really vapid, really ditzy, really like, just like, you know, 
uh, and I think I, I like I like the I like the fact that uh, her having an eating disorder and her being in the hospital one year after the last pageant. I like that, but I like that that is part of the satire because that is shining a big old light on the link between beauty pageant culture and eating disorders, which I think is great. But I don't think they needed to do it in the way that they did, which was like, oh, here's this stupid girl. She just got herself an eating disorder. She's so like vapid and has absolutely no idea what's going on. Everyone's just taking advantage of it. Um, I think they could have done it. I think they could have done it in a way that was still satire, but gave her a, a semblance of like, at least she knows what's happening, <laughs> you know? I read it quite differently. So I, I read it and I always have that her eating sort of so bad that she doesn't know what's going on, that like literally she is completely starved to death. So she, you know, she's clearly being, uh, you know, kept alive by her IV and stuff like that. So she doesn't know what's going on because she's so hungry. She doesn't have the capacity to know what's going on. Um, and I, for me, I think that is really reflected in when she's so. So Amber comes in and looks after her and visits her and brushes her hair and sort of like takes care and all of these sort of things. And I feel like you're supposed to think Amber's motivation is quite selfless that she just you know wants to help a former beauty queen. But I I see Amber's motivation as partly that, but also you know she wants to sort of know what it takes to win because she won the year before type of thing um which again I might be misreading but you know I think that it shows very much at the in one of the last scenes with her when she's in bed and she talks about how she was running and dieting and all of this sort of stuff up into up until like a few hours beforehand so for me I I didn't take it as they think she's ditzy or any of those sort of things. I took it as it's her medical medical condition is making her like that because there's still some that steely determination in her about being thin for the pageant, which is, you know, which I feel the film pitches is clearly a terrible thing. Mm. But I totally like I totally get what you're saying, hearing you talk about it and hearing another side. I don't read it as ditzy, oh, she just wants to be thin. I read it as very much, you know, she is uh, she is a, what's it, a, a symptom of the, it's not the right way around, what is it? It's a, you know the saying I'm trying to say, I can't think of it. Well, yeah, she's a symptom of, um, well, she's a, a symptom or a cause. Anyway, she's a byproduct. Of a the byproduct, whole yeah, of yeah, the whole she... beauty pageant thing, yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for finding my words for me. <laughs> You're welcome. That's why I'm here. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, um, and I, in my head, I was like, I think this is what they're trying to go for. Um, but part of me was like, some people won't, and I think maybe no, it's just I because think you're I, right. I, I, I think you're absolutely <laughs> right. I think because I've watched it since I was 17 years old, you know, almost obsessively for years and years and years, and then watching it again, that's my immediate takeaway. But I think it speaks to the point that you made earlier about sometimes this satire doesn't hit and therefore people cannot understand what it's trying to do and I think you've made an incredibly valid point that I feel the satire of this but coming in so many people must not have done and still don't and that's really you know disordered eating eating disorders is a hugely important topic and you know it's almost as if 
if we were to look back on it now and make the film now, we wouldn't include that because it can be taken either way and is incredibly problematic. Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I, I, I do think that there are ways. I, I do think there is a place for satire in, in, in that way. But like you said, I just don't think it, I just don't think it landed as it was supposed to. So mm. I think they could have done it slightly differently because I don't want to say there's no place for satire when it comes to things like eating disorders, because I definitely think there is, because some for some people that's the only way you get mm. to deal with these things. So I think it's incredibly important. Um, um, because, yeah, so I, I do think there's a place for satire. Um, but but this is the problem with satire. You've got to be you've got to be incredible. I do think satire is so it's such a hard thing to land. You've got to be you've got to be very well thought through um, with with the way that you do satire to make sure that you're not inadvertently, you know, pitching certain groups of people in a really negative light, which is why I think, you know, not low, 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 it's not a, a super popular genre because it is hard it is hard to it is hard to land well um but yeah I, I but yeah so I, I I could I could see that that's what they were trying to do um and you're right you know you knowing the film and having watched it since you were young um it's easier for you to pick up on those things which is why we're having this conversation right because I'd, <laughs> I'd never seen this film until I Sam got my head done and watched it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just somewhat ironic. I know. Well, I, know. <laughs> I, know. I think you're absolutely right in terms of the, the satire landing. And we can, And I think there are some things that they do really well in terms of when she comes in to redo her performance and she's singing Don't Cry Out Loud. Uh, so when Mary, the, the winner from the year before, comes oh, in yes. with her performance oh, yes, and she's in the wheelchair and her nurse is pushing her around and she's singing, don't cry out loud. Yes. And like, you know, obviously hilarious because she's screaming for help by being, by having an eating disorder. But, you know, she's having to keep it all in. You yes. Know? Uh, all, you know, I think that lands really well. And it, but I just think yeah. you're right, you know, could the other stuff have been played differently to make things like that more effective? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I especially love the the part where like she's brushing her hair and it hair's just start, like uh, I think Amber's brushing her hair while she's in the hospital and she just mm. starts pulling it out in clumps. I thought that was really funny. That's something that is well done because that like, you know. If that's shine, shining, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of an, anorexia, but if that's shining a light on something that happens to people with anorexia, it's a funny way of doing it. Mm. So that I think was landed well, um, for me anyway. Um, and that scene that you were talking about, I think is especially is, is especially good because she's lip syncing the whole thing. Yeah. So she's not even, she's not even <laughs> singing the song that says, don't cry out loud. Like she's she's lip, she's lip syncing the whole yep. thing, <laughs> and she's wearing a wig because her hair just falls out. Like, oh. but yeah. So there are definitely ways of doing it, and I think it is a shame because I think there are there's a lot of um, anti fat stuff in this film that we talked about. You know, when Amber talks about how Diane Sawyer was you know a bit hippie um, and stuff like that, and then 
So they've got that running through, which, you know, it's, it's all purposeful that it's there, but that stuff doesn't hit. And then that combined with the former anorexic beauty queen not hitting as well. I think that it can be really interpreted as a anti-fat statement in this film, which I don't think it's making at all. I think it's trying to do the opposite, but it just doesn't necessarily tie together. I completely agree. Great. So is anything else on that? that great. You agree with me? Yeah. I agree. <laughs> um, and is there anything else along sort of some of the specific storylines that we've talked about? We've covered female friendship, obviously, how it's representing eating disorders, how it's representing women. How do you feel when Amber gets to sort of the, I guess it's the state, isn't it? Rather than the finals, how does it go? So you have like your local one and you have your state one and then you have the final. And she walks in and the impression is that all the other women, all the other young girls, young women, because they're young women, aren't they? They're older girls at the, at the, at the final state thing are represented as being a lot more put together and a lot more sophisticated than she is have you got any thoughts around that at all the only thing that I can think of I mean I, I have two thoughts a I thought it kind of really trailed off after the whole mm. um I thought the film was just going to end when um oh, we've missed the most important thing so at the end of the Mount Rose section uh <laughs> Denise Richards character Becky is crowned the winner of course of course she is because it's really this is the best part it was so funny and then her dad makes a float has a float made for her by his workers in Mexico I enjoy how they are at pains to talk about how racist Becky Lehman's family is they make that very clear that they are not good people and I enjoy that um they create her a float that is a giant swan to be in the local parade and she gets on the giant swan and it explodes. But at one point before it explodes, she's like, oh, shit. And then it just... <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I fucking know what's going to happen here. And just like, boom. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved it. Um, that is my, that's my kind of humour. I love that shit. Mm. Um, and then her mum just like goes crazy, you know, um, and starts, I mean... That might not be the right word. Her mum just goes off on one and just starts spilling all those secrets and shouting slurs and and it, it, I thought that was a really great end. Mm. And then and then she, you know and then it's like oh and then Amber goes to nationals and Amber goes to state or whatever. Um, um, I mean, in terms of the plot, I was like, okay, I kind of just trailed off. I, I get why they wanted to get all the weights. To Sarah Rose Cosmetics. I get that, but like it just kind of fell a bit flat towards the end, to be honest. But in terms of when she gets there, what I think they're trying to do is play into that narrative of, of like rural states in America being seen to be um, just generally on the back foot um, mm. and generally less talented. It's like, and the only reason I know about this sort of stereotype is from watching American films. Mm. Um, and, and picking up on on this kind of um this kind of stereotype around like um I mean I don't have the full vocabulary but you know people in rural states of America being seen to just be less talented dumb like mostly just dumb and 
um so I think that's what they were trying to get at because she's you know I think she's like looking around and everyone's got I think she's watching all all of um the talent sections of the other women um yeah and I think I think it's very easy to see that she's feeling very inferior Mm. that was that was really to be honest I think (laughs) I still felt like like I said like that kind of end bit I was just a bit like oh this is why did they why did they do this so I I I wasn't like I might not have picked up on as many things it wasn't as interesting as the rest yeah of the I agree it's not like the, the most, in my mind the most interesting bits in all of those end bits are Loretta and Annette so Amber's mum and her mum's best friend again you're like Loretta when they're at state and she's flirting with the barman and everything is just so great and I love that there's you know an older woman as such who's owning her sexuality and you feel like at the beginning they're they're making a joke out of it because she's like oh come and give me a ride down and and it's like oh she's just two trailers down don't fall for it then I feel by the end of the film it's very much like we're allowing her to be sexual and it's something to celebrate with her it's not that the film's not looking down on her for flirting with the barman and and all of that, you know, and and there's a married man that she flirts with. But as soon as she realised she's not, he's married, she's like, nope, not interested. Oh yeah. You know, I feel like it it really embraces that there's again, I'm using air quotations, which isn't great in a, a podcast, um, for an older woman. Yeah. Which I really liked. But yeah, it, it definitely starts to fall off towards the end for me. It's not as funny, it's not as quick. Um and I find that it's sort of all the things it's been trying to talk about earlier in the film, they all just sort of disappear. Yeah. And we do just get this. She's sort of, you know, from, like you've said, rural, and she's apparently not as sophisticated as all the others. But again, I don't think it really, it nails that as well as it does a lot of the other things. Yeah, because I think maybe what what might have happened, what seems to me to have happened towards the end of the film, is they just put their comedy above the points they were trying to make. Mm -hmm. And I think an example of that might be like the fact that she ends up winning um, to go to nationals because every single other um, contestant gets shellfish poisoning or like gets food poisoning from the shellfish and just starts vomiting everywhere, which is hilarious, but um, also makes it seem like... I, I, it was just such a weird like ending. she's not sophisticated yeah. enough to eat shellfish right and yeah it's just like I mean I'm sure she's eating shellfish or or you know something yeah but similar and it was just like you know because so that's funny but what is it what, what point is it trying mm-hmm. to land you know if this really is kind of like dark comedy satire like um it just doesn't it just didn't match with the rest of the film I feel like they got to that and was like oh no no we have to add 30 minutes to this film, or we have to have 20 minutes to this film, what shall we do? Okay, um, right, what else should we talk about? Do you want to talk about how it's written by a woman? You got any points to say on that? I I only realised that. <laughs> um, I only realised this like two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> so it was probably so for, written for, by, for, by a woman. For you listeners, we had to have a short break in between uh, uh, this part that we're, we're discussing compared to sort of like the first, I guess it's going to be like 40 or so minutes due to a interruption from my child <laughs> who decided I was not allowed to record anymore and, uh, and I had to go and be with her instead. So we're recording, was it like three, three days later? 
So we've had, we've had a bit of time in between when Jess has clearly been digesting the film a bit more and uh, has realised it was written by a woman. So did you not realise beforehand, did you think it was written by a man? Yeah, and, and maybe that says something about my assumptions of the film industry mm. or my lack of knowledge around the film industry or the fact that I didn't fully understand what the premise of this podcast was. <laughs> I knew we were talking about films about women, but and then I remembered in one of your previous podcasts, you talking about it as written by women about women. And then I was well, like, not all the films we're talking about are written by women. Okay. But it's just one of the categories we could be talking about. Okay. So because okay, that would be impossible to find. We'd only have like five films to talk about if it was films <laughs> written by women for women, because Hollywood doesn't like any films written by women. Uh, so we, we would it be just a lot of Nancy Myers. And who wants a podcast about that, really? Huh? Oh, there's got to be a Nancy Myers podcast out there, surely. <laughs> Maybe we should link up with them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just assumed it was written by a man. Um, and you know, maybe that's because, like, maybe that's because I've 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 grown up watching comedy that's mostly from men, mm. especially dry, dry comedy. Even mm. though I am surrounded by women with the most dry set like with the most dry humor sense um my assumption um is that it must have been written by a man because of because of the nature of the comedy um which is eye-opening really and do you think reflecting on it now now knowing it's written by a woman do you think that changes how you feel about the film or some aspects of the film at all or is it more of a wider I can't believe it's a film actually written by a woman well I mean I can't I can't believe it's a film written by a woman because I think you know part of me thinks that if it was a film written by by a man they would have been able to get away with doing things that um portray like made their point a lot more I think Mm. as a female writer you've got I think we've got to think about the context within and it was in the 90s right yeah we've got to think about the context within which this this female writer would have been creating this narrative and that is um I mean there are I'm guessing there are not many women writers in the sort in Hollywood at the moment, can you imagine what it was like in the nine, in the late nineteen eighties? And so, imagine trying to pitch your your screenplay to what I can imagine are a boardroom full of men, mm-hmm. um, and they're being you know, and you being like, yeah, I, I want to create a film that really um, uh, that, that that uses like really you know that uses black comedy satire to highlight some of the uh, key issues with beauty pageants. And they would have been like, yeah, yeah, cool. Just, you know, don't, don't make it, don't make it too controversial. Um, that is what's playing out in my mind. Mm. You know, a, a woman having to kind of um, pull back on some of the points about the negative effects on a certain culture, um, of a certain culture on women. So, yeah. yeah that, we always I, have to take the more softly, softly approach, don't we? Uh, absolutely. Whereas if this was like a Judd Apatow film, it would be full out gross humour, like act- like physical gross comedy and all of those sort of things. Whereas, you know, I mean, maybe she always wanted to write it as a satirical black comedy, 
but maybe it was also this is a way I can talk about these things by making it satirical yeah absolutely um and I just feel like it, it might not have just been her writing that meant that those um but it didn't land as well as it could have if that makes sense because mm-hmm. because of the context within she was you know within which she was writing um and I because they because the people who created the film would have been like well they would have had to look at their audience and be like well who's actually going to enjoy this film what is the appetite for this and I just can't imagine it was as strong as the appetite might have been 10 years later yeah agreed absolutely agreed I think that's a lovely point great reflection on that I think we should start wrapping up because I think that's a really nice way to end end this conversation so there's two things I would like to ask you the first one is who would you recommend this film to and or who would you not recommend this film to who would you be like you are not gonna like this film I mean I would not recommend it to any of my film to any of my any of the people who I um I know actually I don't know (laughs) just I wouldn't recommend it to anybody (laughs) (laughs) well I, I wouldn't recommend it to the people I, who I know who are fat because um, not, only, not only because of the way it portrays fat people, but, but just because my, um, the, the people who I know who are fat, like, especially like my, so like my mum, let's take my mum. She, she's a fat woman and I'm using fat as a, a word that is reclaimed almost, you know, cause fat doesn't have to be a bad word. So she is a fat woman. A wonderful fat woman but she she has watched loads and loads of films i remember watching shallow Hal with my mum and her and her finding it funny what as a fat woman unfortunately she has just normalized this mm. anti-fat narrative which is and i think it's a big part of this anti-fat culture that is that that is going on which means fat people constantly feel like they need to diet because of films that that just paint fat people in ways like this film does. And so there, I wouldn't only not recommend it to her because it has a couple fat people like playing the joke or whatever, but because it feeds into this big old narrative around anti-fat bias, a narrative that she as a fat person herself normalize, like normalizes. Um, and I, <laughs> so, I mean, I wouldn't, so yeah, who, who would who would I I don't I don't know who I would recommend this film to, um, because I I know a lot of people who love black black comedy and, and satire and have very very dry sense of humor. Um, I could probably I I could probably recommend it to some of my friends who um, who have the same kind of sense of humor as me, but like heavily caveated. You know, and it, the, the people who I know are not sensitive to certain to certain narratives because I feel like I am quite sensitive to the anti-fat bias thing just because of the relationship I have with my mum. But to people who aren't as sensitive to it, um, for instance, my partner, he he is aware of it because of the conversations we have, but he's not super sensitive to it because he, um, you know, he he didn't, you know, didn't have the same upbringing as me or or whatever. So he'd probably, he'd probably watch it, find it funny, understand that there are problematic things in there, 
but um, derive some, you know, drive joy from it and stuff like that. So I think there are some people that I would recommend it to people who I could heavy, heavily caveat it for. So that's, other people all, I, that's all quite negative. Would you recommend it positively to anybody? No, I don't. <laughs> so you, don't, you don't think this is a, a positive film that's looking at, you know, how women are represented in any way. So you, so in your opinion, you don't like this film, and there you wouldn't, therefore, you wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I don't. I think the so I, I think I would only recommend it to specific people in a positive way. Mm. But for me, I would always have to caveat it with the anti-fat thing. Because mm. I think I think it's crucial. I really do. I think it's crucial. Um, I do think there are positive. I, I do think there are a lot of positive elements to this film. Mm. But as someone who only has only just watched it, and and um, is very sensitive to anti-fat bias, the people I, there would be a very small group of people who I would recommend it to. That's so interesting because I would say the anti-fat stuff in this is very small part of the film. So I find it really interesting that you can't sort of extrapolate anything out from that. Do you feel like that failure in that narrative, even though it, you know, it's from a time when that was very much a narrative in all films of the time, you just can't get past that to say that this has actually got important things to say for women about how they are represented in the world. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's probably just because it's a sensitivity for me, mm. you know. Um, I think it would be different if I had watched it as a kid, because then at least there's some sort of nostalgia attached to it. But I'm I'm not saying that with nostalgia. I think this film says important things about how women are represented. I mean, we've talked about that. How you know there's the creepy guy about how they have to be happy about they have to fit into a particular ideal, how they have to have a talent, how they have to be sexy, but not too sexy, how they have to be smart, but not too smart. And for you, I feel like since the beginning of our conversation, you've just completely gone, none of that is important because the anti-fat stuff just overrides it all for me. I mean, I think it's important, but I don't think it's, I don't think it lands as obviously for a lot of people. So I, I, I think, um, I think it makes important, important points if you are watching it as a person who is looking for those points you know like if you're watching it as a person with a critical eye for film I think you'd pick up on those points but I mm. think a lot of people don't do that a lot of people don't um a lot of people don't watch films um you know thinking about the kinds of things that, that they would pick up on a lot of people watch films passively in the in like I feel like in um, especially at the moment, I think a lot of people watch films and then play on their phones. And so, and so it's easier to pick up on the negative things than it is to think, oh, actually, yeah, I think this is doing quite a lot for the, um, you know, feminist film narrative, as it were. And so, and so there are only a specific group of people who I would recommend it to, people that I know that would pick up on that. But a lot of people that I know would just watch, a, watch the film passively, might not pick up on any of the positive things that it does for feminist film narrative, but come away being like, you know, oh, but why was that Chinese guy? Like, you know, like, and, and, and why was the fat person just 
And why did they say, why did they say the R word so, so much? You know, like, I think if we see feminism as intersectional um, and cuts across so many different, so many different characteristics and experiences, I don't think we can ignore the, 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 the negative attributes of this film. Um, so I'm not saying I wouldn't ever recommend it to anybody. I would just have to be very picky with who I recommended it to. No, and I, I don't think we, I, I don't, so a fem, I, I'm a, an intersectional feminist. Like I, it's something I fundamentally believe in and all of these sort of things, but I don't think we, we talked about this at the beginning. I don't think we can then say anything that was made in the past that doesn't fit into intersectionality isn't valid. I don't, I I disagree with that. I think we can look at it with a critical eye and say, you know, we wouldn't do it now. Like, you know, I take this from this. I think this is something we should discuss as, as we have done. I don't think you can dismiss anything because like we've talked about, nobody would watch Friends. Like if we turn around now oh, and absolutely. said, oh, you're not allowed any of these things because these things are bad. And like Friends, the number one TV show in the world should be off every single channel. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not, I find it, but I'm finding it very interesting. I feel like you started off in quite a positive place about this film. And now you're quite like, well, actually, these are all the bad things and anything that it's trying to say, other than these bad things, aren't, they're not important enough for people to watch. Yeah, but the the question is, who would I recommend it to? but I mean more broadly, like don't like name your friends, but you know, so I would say, you yeah, know, I would say like, uh, you know, my, my husband's niece, I would say, I would recommend this to her. She's like 16, you know, she's in that stage of feeling quite different or feeling a misfit, all of those sort of things. I would say, let's sit and watch this film. You know, she's one of those wonderful 16 year olds who are much more enlightened about the world than any of us are. And, you know, and is very anti you know anti-racist all of this sort of stuff like she's the most wonderful person ever you know so I would feel comfortable her sitting and watching this knowing that there are things she would want to talk about afterwards and say you know I don't like that they do this but I also think this is good and that's a valid talking point so you know somebody like that I would say for me somebody who feels very maybe not within the mainstream I would recommend this film to whether you know you're you're male female yeah great so some, straight, yeah you know all of those sort of things that's who I would recommend it to yeah someone who could watch the film and understand the positives and the negatives and why the negatives are the negatives and why the positives are the positives someone who's not gonna you know someone who you can have a discussion with about the film um and and note that you know the negatives are a symptom of the time and and it creates a whole discussion ar- around why they're negative. I completely understand that. Um, and, and that's why I say, you know, there's a, there's a specific group of people that I would recommend it to. Mm. People that I would want to have discussions about that with. I'm just, I'm just thinking more broadly of, you know, the fact that a lot of people, like I said, they, they, they wouldn't watch it with a critical eye. Um, and so I probably wouldn't recommend it to them, mm. but I'd recommend it to people who would want to have a conversation about it and about the impact and, and about the difference in representation from this 1990 film to the conversations and the representations we're seeing now. 
Um, so I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's no place for it. I just, um, I think the group, you know, I just think you have to have a discussion with it. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not a film you can just feel like go and watch it. It's a film you have to have a discussion about, which is good. I mean, that, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that's a good thing if you want to have a discussion with people about the portrayal of women, anti-fat, racism, you know, the portrayal of like sort of rural America. I think it's good. I just don't think it's mainstream. I don't think it, I don't, but I don't think it has to be. This is such an interesting discussion. I could be <laughs> talking about this for another hour. I'm like, oh, I can't believe we've got to wrap it up. <laughs> I just think you've brought something really, really interesting to it. I think you've brought a very personal perspective, which I yeah. think is really important. Um, and I've really liked hearing about it. I, I think it's, it's so interesting that this film has, you know, because you've talked about how funny it is and, and sort of the dark humour that you really like. And there's one thing about this film that you've really taken from it. And, you know, you want to talk about it and you think it's a really important discussion to have. I, I, it's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's been really wonderful to hear. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed coming here and just doing <laughs> Um, <laughs> just being like it's great but I hate this and I won't I won't but they're, they're, but they're really yeah no but yeah absolutely and that's what I wanted to really get down down to with you like I, I it's really interesting to hear and it's an important thing to be talking about you know and and I love being able to reflect on a film that's from like 1999 now to you know 2021 I forgot what year we were about to be 2022 and like we said, I don't think we can dismiss stuff from that, but I, I find it so interesting in how we would make it now if we were going to make this film. Oh my gosh. And I think you've brought a lot to the table for that. It's just really, so thank you. Like, like I said, so interesting. Um, oh, good. I'm glad. And on that, so one thing I want to start doing is thinking about what would be an addition to a femon film, female feminist watch list. Um, so not every film I'm going to be discussing in Femme on Film would go on this watch list. Um, for example, I would put probably, so of the three films that we've done, I personally would definitely put Josie and the Pussycats on that list, probably up at the top, because every you need to go and see that film, you need to understand how ahead of it time it was. I, as much as I enjoyed watching Grease 2, I wouldn't necessarily put it on there. There are aspects of it. It would maybe be sort of like, so say if I had the list, top tier would be Josie and the Pussycats. Second tier would be Grease 2. Um, this, uh, I think I would probably put it in tier two as well. As much as I personally love this film, um, it's always, for me, been a film that I've really enjoyed. I've felt like there's lots of it that, um, that you know, I've talked about being like the misfit, being the underdog type stuff that I've always sort of connected with. But I think there are some major issues in it in terms of tone that don't fit it that doesn't mean I don't love this film I will always extol the the virtues of this film but in terms of things that I would be like right you want to you're you're a budding young feminist here's a list of films to watch I would probably put this below Josie and the Pussycats for example um and I'm presuming you haven't seen Josie and the Pussycats Jess I have not So so you will not understand my tier rating at all you're like, Rhea's just talking random shit about three films. I haven't, I have heard you talk about Joseph Pussycat, but I haven't, 
haven't watched it yet. I haven't watched it yet. It's on my list. It's in tier one of my list. <laughs> what I like is that you've got three tiers. I need to acknowledge Well, I don't know what the tiers are. I've just made this up. But I'm thinking Good. more in terms of, for me, essential essential films for women about women that talk about feminists that talk about women's issues that could be compared to the term chiclet which you know people don't really use anymore thankfully because it's awful for me like Josie and the Pussycats is the pinnacle of that I would say this is not the pinnacle of that so I would include it in the list but it wouldn't be in the top five for example would this be in your top five no but I think it should be on the list (laughs) but because because you know if you're if you're if you're giving a list of um but but it should be on the list with all the with with, with all the, mm. the all the points that we've raised it should be on the list and then you should have a discussion about it um for all the reasons we've just talked about so if you're if you're collating um a list of you know like you said a list of films um a list of like feminist films, you know, for women, about women, that highlight the issues um, women face. Um, and you and you want to give it to someone who you know will will think critically about it, digest it, want to have a conversation about it, then yes, it should be on the list. I don't think it should be in the top five. Um, <laughs> Poor Drop Dead Gorgeous, not in the top five. <laughs> but, but yeah, it should be on the list. Because it makes very, you know, like we've talked about, it makes very important points about, um, you know, how damaging beauty, beauty pageant culture in America is. And I haven't been to America. Well, I've been to America for like five days, but like, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been to Minnesota. I haven't been to all these places. I don't know just how big this culture is and how mm. big it feels in these mm. places and so how actually massive these issues that it's raising are like the the link between pageant culture and and eating disorders um you know how big that link is so I think it should be on the list I just think it should be a film that you put on the list and you have a discussion about mm. not the pure joy that's joasting the pussycats which you are going to go away and watch and just I, will. I mean for if for anything it is for the fashion, for the backless tops. You're a little bit younger than me, so you probably won't remember it in full force. But oh, backless tops—they are—they are. I remember watching. Time. Yeah, I remember watching Kira Knightley. I know what a backless. <laughs> she was the queen of backless tops, wasn't yeah. she? Oh, I love I Kira so. Knightley so much. Um, yeah. We'll watch anything she is in. She's wonderful. So. Oh, no, I'm just randomly talking about Kira Knightley now. Um, let's and the moral of the you. story yeah. was um, I fucking love Kira Knightley. There you go, the moral what... of this whole episode is I fucking love Kira Knightley. That's what I'm going to try and get in all the episodes. Let's get around to Kira Knightley. So <laughs> everything I talk about, I want to talk about fuck the patriarchy, smash it, fuck you patriarchy. I want to talk about releasing the dongs and now Kira Knightley. Done. Perfect. What is a don? You can tell dong, me later. Dong, a penis. Release the uh, dongs. I was like, what is a don? Is that from, is that from Josie the Pussycat? <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. Uh, what what fun this has been. I want to come fun. back. You will back. come back. Uh, you can either nominate your own film or I'll give you one to watch again. Oh, it's fun. Yeah, we'll see. Um, right, so why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, the wonderful Jessica Davies. Yeah, sure. Great. I am on Instagram at, at 
Jess, Jess underscore B Davies. That's spelled D-A-V-I-E-S. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a Davies kind of girl. I'm a Davies. Jess <laughs> underscore B Davies. Uh, is that just like the bane of your life? It's Davies. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. Davis with just, a, just an I. Who do you think I am? <laughs> you think I am? And what about your blog? Do you can you share your blog with everyone? Absolutely, yes. So I'd love I'd love to share my blog. Um, it's called Six Hundred Words on Life. Um, you can just type that into Google. I'm sure it'll pop up if I've done my SEO properly. <laughs> pop up, um, or you can find me on Instagram at Six Hundred Words on Life. Yay! And I'll include Six Hundred Words on Life in the show Yay. notes as well. Thank you. Thank you so Don't much for coming out. on. Check her out. She's wonderful, and you're such a good writer. And I'd love people to read more of what you've written. And you're just very insightful and thoughtful. And obviously, I think you're amazing. That's Are you making me blush? <laughs> oh, oh, thanks. Oh, what a nice way to spend a Wednesday night. Oh. <laughs> and you post some wonderful photos on Instagram. You do very good photos. Oh, well, thank you. I've never seen anyone do as much with cardboard as I have you on Instagram. <laughs> Those days are behind me now. I don't have time for cardboard anymore. Oh, yeah, you know? that's true. Now that I'm now that now that you're a podcast star busy and i'm doing this and there's no more lockdown there's less time to spend making cardboard structures um plus you know the three-year-old just smashes them down as soon as they're up now (laughs) maybe she thinks maybe she thinks it's the patriarchy oh mate no i am now making her a cardboard building with the word patriarchy on it Done. 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 I feel like Absolutely we've just Absolutely done. Yeah, we've just do we even need to go to work anymore? I think we've just <laughs> we've, we've just done it. Done. Yeah. Ticked. Done. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This has been so fun. It's been wonderful.